0: You're listening to New City Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Galatians week number four. Galatians week number four. We like to go through books of the Bible because every book of the Bible is telling a story a real story about God's overarching story. So in the book of Galatians there is 149 verses. And we're two chapters in out of six chapters. And we could kind of bounce around and look at all those great scriptures of verses, the the verses that talk about the fruit of the spirit or how it's not about what you do for God, but what God's done for you. You don't get saved by works, but by grace and to watch out for false teaching. We've got to skip around, but we get the fullest picture of what God's trying to speak to us when we go through those books in order, when we don't just plop around in those 149 verses, but when we actually look at the story it's trying to tell. And one of the things we like to do when we're going through the book of the Bible is get one of these almost comic strip outlines of the story of Galatians. And as we complete chapters. Two last week, the point of those first two chapters was that uh, the gospel of the crucified Messiah. It's that scripture, Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And as we get into the next scriptures, it's going to be talking about um, God's family of faith. And so we, uh, we love going through the scriptures like that. We love doing that because what we see in the entire book of Galatians is it's all really pointing to one theme. It's pointing to this theme of freedom in Christ and everything kind of hangs on that, that, that we don't serve God to be accepted by God. We serve God because we're accepted by God through what Jesus has done. Amen? Amen? I'm gonna ask Chad to come up and pray for us. And then would you read the scripture as well, Chad? Chad's gonna be preaching for us next week, so. All righty,
1: let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would uh, unveil it to us, would you open our eyes to your word and your word to our eyes and help us to see you bigger as we uh, unfold and understand more about what it means to be free in Christ. And so we thank you. Uh, We ask that your spirit do a work in us this morning and through the preaching of the word. Um, Be with John as he speaks and we just ask that you would anoint his words and we ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then God get, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing, the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to, to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the law, or under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith.
0: Amen. The word of God. What is is faith? What is faith? A, A lot of people talk about believing and have faith, but what does that mean? Some people believe that you just have to trust the universe for good vibes. Like when things go bad, you just have to sort of believe that it's going to work out. The the problem I see with just sort of believing the universe for good vibes is that what happens when the bad vibes keep coming? What happens when things go drastically wrong? What happens when people lose their life? Did they not trust the universe enough? And so I, I, I find that that kind of falls short What happens when the universe throws bad vibes at you though is I see a lot of times people say, well, you just have to believe in yourself. Like when hardship comes, don't give up, just keep pressing on. And I think there's something good about that, right? I just saw a a story about a famous musician who you would know if I mentioned, but just has huge influence and huge popularity. And it was really interesting to find out that when they were trying to make it as a musician, they had so much adversity. In fact, literally everyone around them was saying, you'll never make it, you'll never amount to anything. And the people surrounding this singer actually made a Facebook page that said, this person will never be famous. And yet she is. And so there's something good, I think, about believing in yourself, believing that you can do something, not quitting, not giving up. And yet what the Bible teaches about faith is something very different than that. What the Bible teaches about faith is not relying on the universe, it's not relying on yourself. And so you go, well, I know John, I know Pastor John. It's believing in God. Faith means believing in God. And there's something to that. But the Bible teaches that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. So it's not just enough to believe in the existence of God, the Bible teaches something more than that. And you say, I know what it is. It's believing in Jesus. The Bible teaches that faith is believing in Jesus Christ and you're onto something. That's true. But what does that mean? What does it mean to place your faith in Jesus Christ? In Rocky five, there's this great scene where Rocky confronts this promoter in the street and they're about to have a street fight. And the promoter says to Rocky Balboa, hit me and I sue. And Rocky says, sue me for what? And I think that's a good question for us when we ask about faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus for what? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Well, the Bible teaches something very specific about what faith means and where it starts and what it's all about. And for the Christian, faith specifically means believing in the gospel promise. Believing in the promise of the gospel. Faith isn't something ambiguous in the universe. It's not believing in yourself. It's not even just believing in God, but it's specifically believing the promises of the gospel. It's believing that because of what Jesus has done, you are accepted by God when you put your faith in Jesus. It's believing that because Christ took your place on the cross, you are forgiven when you place your faith in Jesus. And what Paul's going to get at continually through the book of Galatians is that faith actually rejects relying on yourself to be acceptable to God. In other words, many people think that Christianity and having faith means that I say I'm going to perform for God. I'm going to really try hard, really, really try to be sinless. I'm gonna do a bunch of good works. And those things aren't bad enough of themselves, but those things aren't faith. Because as Christians, we don't try to perform to get God to love us, rather we rely on what Jesus has done. We don't try to be good to be accepted by God, we become good as we're accepted by him through what Jesus has done. And so for the Christian, faith in the gospel promise means putting all our chips on the table to rely on Jesus alone for our acceptance before God. It is betting everything on who Jesus is and what he has done for salvation and everything else. Jay Leno went and did a, a man on the street where you know, they get someone to take a microphone around and they asked this question on the streets of, I believe, Hollywood. Uh, what's one of the 10 commandments? And you know what the most common answer was? The most common answer that people answered when asked what was one of the 10 Commandments was, God helps those who help themselves. Now, that's not one of the 10 Commandments. That's not even in the Bible. And honestly, it is opposite of what the gospel teaches. Because God helps those who help themselves is relying on yourself to get God's attention and be acceptable to God rather than placing your faith in the promise of the gospel. It is self-reliance. And throughout the book that we've been looking at, the book of Galatians, Paul has been attacking self-reliance not as just a little mix-up but as something that's not the gospel at all. You'll remember that Paul planted these churches in Southern Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. And just a year after the churches were started, these people came from Jerusalem who believed in Jesus, but said, if you really wanna be accepted by God, it's not just about Jesus. You have to follow the Jewish ceremonial law. You have to receive the mark of circumcision on your body You have to wash your hands in a certain way before you eat, and you can only eat kosher food. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us in one sense. It's like just adding something small. But Paul is lit about the Galatians believing in self reliance rather than resting fully on Jesus. He says that a small change is really a big contamination of the gospel. You've heard of the five-second rule. The five-second rule, if you have children, you live by this rule. The five-second rule says that if someone drops food, it's clean for five seconds because the germs are so small, they, the food won't really be contaminated within five seconds. Well, let me tell you, the five-second rule does not exist. There was a microbiologist <clears throat> who was uh, at Rutgers named Donald Schnaffner, and he decided to test out the five-second rule. So he got all these different eating surfaces like a metal table and a wood table and a formica table. And then he put bacteria, just small little germs on the table. And he tested if the food would be contaminated by those little germs. So he dropped food on table for 300 seconds. And he dropped food on another table for 30 seconds. And then the magic number of five seconds and then one second. And we would suspect that the 300 seconds that the food lay on the contaminated table would contaminate it, and you're right. But so was the food that was dropped for just 30 seconds and five seconds and even just one second. The food that was dropped on the table for just one second was contaminated by those tiny germs. The small germs brought a big contamination. And so the the next time someone drops food on the ground and says five second rule, say no second rule because it does not exist. But listen, the next time someone tries to make a small change to the gospel, tell them it's no longer the gospel. That small change to the gospel is a big contamination of the gospel, which is why Paul is so lit. He's so angry, he's so frustrated that people would bring in false teaching, even though it seems tiny, and contaminate the gospel. In three verse one, he says this, you foolish Galatians who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? That's strong language to say that the Galatians are under a spell. In other translations, it says, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? See, the the contamination of the gospel, be it big or small, matters. And I talk with a lot of Christians who follow false teachings And they're like, it's just a small change. No, it's a full contamination of the gospel. Especially when that gospel turns to faith in myself before God rather than faith in Jesus before God. When it turns to self-reliance rather than faith in Christ. Because Christian faith is always pointed away from self and towards Jesus and his work. And the Galatians are pointing their faith towards their works and away from Jesus. Paul is saying, listen, don't you remember Galatians when I came and we started this church together? I preached the cross to you. And I preached it in such a way that it was as if Jesus was being crucified there before you. And as I preached the cross of Jesus to you, the Holy Spirit came into your lives and you internalized the gospel. You believed it for yourself. You had faith in Jesus. You internalized the gospel promise and you believed. Not because of anything you had done. Not because of some ceremony you performed. You weren't even seeking after God. But God came to you and you believed. That's how you become a Christian. And that's how anyone becomes a Christian. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul writes, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Have you internalized the good news, the gospel promise for yourself? Have have you owned that, that it's not by anything that you do but by God's grace, by faith in Jesus alone, by looking to the cross, by not coming to God and saying, here's what I've done for you, but by looking at Jesus and what he's done to make you acceptable to God, to cleanse you of your sins. To give you right standing with God. See, when Paul says that he's preaching the cross, you have to understand he's not preaching a moral betterment program. Here's 10 ways to be a better person. He's not preaching that. He's also not preaching a new spiritual path among many paths. He's preaching the cross of Jesus for salvation. Listen to what he says in verses two and three. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Did you receive the Holy Spirit in your life because you obeyed the law enough or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Christianity is not good works plus my belief equals salvation. Christianity is my belief in God's promise equals salvation and therefore I do good works. Because if it's about your good works, if it's about your obedience to the law, how obedient do you have to be in order to earn salvation? What's the mark? We'll talk about that later. But... Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit came into the lives of the Galatians not because they earned the Holy Spirit by being good enough, but because the Holy Spirit was given out of God's grace. They believed what they heard about the gospel. It wasn't that they were getting closer to God, but that God came to them and lived inside them simply as they believed what Paul preached about the cross. The Christian faith is always pointed away from self and towards Jesus for salvation, but also for Christian growth. See, a lot of Christians believe, well, I trusted Jesus for salvation and now it's up to me. Like now the foundation for my Christian growth is my willpower and how hard I try and my moral efforts. And what does Paul say? Foolish. Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Are you now finishing by your own strength? See, salvation is not about relying on yourself, but neither is Christian growth. Christian growth happens as we look to Jesus and we rely on him and not ourselves. We don't attain a higher status with God by trying harder. We are given a status before God because we trust Jesus. So many Christians rely on Jesus for salvation and then after they're saved, they rely on themselves to be able to grow as Christians. If you can put up the next slide. Classic American movie, The Princess Bride. And if you've seen that movie, you'll remember there's a scene where the Sicilian, Fezzik, Inigo Montoya, and Buttercup are fleeing in a boat and chasing them is the Dread Pirate Roberts. And the only way to escape the Dread Pirate Roberts is if they go to the Cliffs of Insanity and they climb the cliff. That's the only way to be saved from the Dread Pirate Roberts. And they get to the Cliffs of Insanity and the only person that can get up the rope is the giant Fezzik, played by Andre the Giant. And so Fezzik straps the Sicilian to his front Buttercup to his back and Anigo Montoya to his side and begins climbing their way up the rope to escape the Dread Pirate Roberts. If you've seen that scene and you know how high that rope is, it would be crazy for them to say, we have escaped the Dread Pirate Roberts, but it's okay now. We can pull ourselves up the rest of the way. It would be crazy for Buttercup and and the Sicilian and Eagle Montoya to detach themselves from the, the strong man and try and make it the rest of the way themselves. There's only one person who can save them. There's only one person who could carry them the entire way and that was Fezzik the giant. And in our faith, Jesus saves us, but he also carries us the rest of the way. We rely on him, we don't detach ourselves from him and say he saved us but now it is up to us. We we don't rely on ourselves in the Christian life, we continue to rely on what Jesus has done for us. He's the only one who's strong enough to carry us through. It would be inconceivable of us to think that we earn status by continuing to climb up the Christian life. No, the Christian life is based on having status that Jesus has given us in day one and wherever you find yourself as a Christian. See, a lot of people become Christians and they treat it like they're still trying to get Jesus to make a commitment to them. If you got married You were sort of on your best behavior to get that other person to marry you, right? Get them to fall in love with you and make that commitment. But then it would have been foolish to you after they married you to say, I hope one day that you'll marry me. The commitment has already happened. And in the same way in the Christian life, once we became saved, Jesus has bound himself to us. And he never lets go. And sometimes Christians live their, live their life trying to prove something, trying to earn something from God when God has already fully committed Himself to them. The foundation of your salvation as Jesus, the foundation of your growth and progress through the Christian life, is not you trying to be more acceptable to God by your own efforts. Rather, it is by living out of the status that Jesus has given you before God. Look at what he says in 3, 5, and 6. So then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness? What Paul's trying to tell the Galatians is, listen, you didn't get the spirit because you were good people. You actually need the Holy Spirit in order to become good people. It's not about your efforts. It's about believing the promise that God has made just like Abraham, the father of our faith, just like Abraham. Did you know that when God chose Abraham, it wasn't based on anything that Abraham had done? Abraham's account before God was empty. We don't even think Abraham knew who who God was. We believe that Abraham was a pagan idol worshiper. And yet God chose him and called him, not based on anything that Abraham had done, but simply on the fact that God was going to make a promise to him. The promise to be the father of many nations. And even in God choosing Abraham and saying, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, Abraham didn't have the power in and of himself to carry that out. If you know the story, Abraham and his wife Sarah were not able to have children. So God has chosen someone that's not following him, and he picks someone to carry out his plans who can't do it. Abraham's account before God is absolutely empty. And yet, what does it say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and his account became full. He was credited with righteousness, meaning that he was justified before God. His relationship with God was sealed, not based on his efforts, but because he believed who God said he was and that God was going to do what he was going to do. We've talked about this before. The world will never credit you righteousness, but God does. Your status with God is not based on your record of obedience or your performance, but oftentimes it is in the world. If you're a college dropout, if you flunk out of college, you don't go into the admissions office and they say, guess what? Here's your diploma and you're gonna graduate summa cum laude. The world does not work that way. You don't get terrible credit, run up your credit cards and then go to your creditor's office and then say to you, we're going to give you a perfect credit score because the world does not credit you with righteousness, but through the gospel promise, God does. God sees all your sin and all your moral failures and the ways that you have not followed him. But when he sees belief in the gospel promise of Jesus, you are credited with righteousness before him. And this is not the abnormal way that God works. Like, like God is not forming a family of good people and occasionally scholarshipping a few unworthy people into the family. No, this is the very basis of what God is doing in this world. In Romans 4, 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who, who declares the ungodly to be righteous. His faith is credited for righteousness. This is the normal way people come to God. And so to think that you offer God something that make you more acceptable is the opposite of the gospel promise. I love this in another version. It says, but believes on him who declares the wicked to be righteous. That is the gospel promise for anyone that says, I am a sinner and I have nothing to offer God. I need forgiveness and I need right standing with him. The promise is that you will get it when you believe in Jesus. God is forming this family based on faith in the gospel promise and nothing else from the very beginning. The reason that Paul brings up Abraham is to show from the very beginning, it wasn't about people who had status before God. When God came to Abraham, he was uncircumcised, meaning he was not doing what God required. When God came to Abraham, it was 400 years before the law was even made. So Abraham has no reason to say, God chose me because of my status. No, God chose him because he's a God of promise and Abraham simply believed. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And why Paul's bringing this argument in now is he's trying to show that the family God is forming is not based on race, but on grace. It's not based on your heritage. It's based on your faith in Jesus Christ. In verse seven and nine, seven through nine, he says this, you know then that those who have, say it with me, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by Praise. and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have Praise. are blessed with Abraham who had Praise. our right standing with God isn't based on our performance. It's based on the fact that we believe God says we are righteous before him. We believe the gospel promise. God is not looking for a few good men. He's looking to form a family of sinful, ungodly, wicked people who believe the gospel and have their lives utterly transformed and changed by the presence of the Spirit in, him, in them. See, every one of us looks at our lives, and whether we do this consciously or subconsciously, every one of us wants to prove that our life is right and worthy and good, that we have some sort of status as a human being. I don't know if you've seen the scales that balance out like this. Whether we do it consciously or subconsciously, we're always trying to prove our worth. We're always trying to put things on the scale that shows we are a right person with status. Maybe we think we're a good person. Maybe that's what it is. I I pay my bills on time, I go to church, I help my neighbor, I'm, I'm a good person. Or maybe it's I'm a good person because I'm not like those religious wingnuts. I'm not crazy like them. Or maybe we think our life has value and rightness and worth because of the image we portray on social media, because of the brand we have, because of our sexiness or whatever. But every human being is trying to rely on something to give weight and meaning and value to their life to justify themselves. The problem is when we get into that, we cannot admit we're wrong because we have to admit we have to be right. We end up judging other people who are not like us and don't have the same weight in the scale as we perceive it. And we become slaves to portraying ourselves a certain way. But the family of faith that God is creating in Jesus is free to receive their worth, to receive their identity, to receive their status, to be justified before God, not based on anything they put on the scale, but on the fact that they have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. And what that means is we're no longer slaves to having to prove ourselves to ourselves or to anyone else. We can admit who we really are. We don't have some ranking system that if I fail, I have to balance the scale somehow by putting something good in here. We don't have to protect our status. That's how the world works, that's not how God works. Brett Farr said, you're only as good as your last pass. Amos quarterback from the Green Bay Packers said that. But faith says, I receive Jesus's record of righteousness over me, no matter my failures, No matter my sins, past, present, or future, I have been declared righteous by God through believing in the gospel promise in Jesus. I'm justified. And so listen, as you look back at your past, some of you feel the scale is way over here and you're living your life trying to put things on this side to make up for everything you messed up in your past and you've become a slave to that. You've gotta get your status back. It's almost like you have a name tag on with your name that's marked by all your sins and failures and weaknesses and you can't stop looking down at your name with all those things that you've done and all those failures that you've had and all those things that you think mark your life. Others of you, you're pretty happy with your past. You look down and you see your name and you're like, I'm a good person. I go to church, I love my neighbor. Not realizing that the very same thing is a trap as well. Neither neither your failures or your successes as a human being ultimately define your life. Jesus does, Jesus does. And here's the thing, if you think that you're a good person, and you're proud of what's on your name tag, you've not read God's law correctly. Because the way God's law works is it's either all or nothing. It's either that I have perfectly obeyed God in everything or I am a sinner. Look what Paul says in verse 10 and 11, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by, there's that word, faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Your status before God doesn't come based on your obedience, but rather the obedience of Jesus for you. Because you can't perfectly obey. Jack Miller said the reason that obeying the law can't help you is because the law condemns you. Every time you read through the law, you'll see that you fall drastically short of God's glory and perfection. But the good news is that Christ received the curse for everyone who place their faith in him. Whether you're ashamed of your past or whether your past isn't that bad. When your faith is in Jesus, he takes your place on the cross for you. He redeems you. He takes the wrath of God on himself for you. In 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Nothing that we do in the Christian life is so that we can be accepted by God. Rather, everything we do in Christian life is out of our acceptance from God through Jesus Christ. So the Christian is really freed from going I'm bad or I'm good, I'm worthy, I'm unworthy because both of those are relying on yourself. And what that means is that your past sins do not ultimately define you, nor does your present success and prowess. Nothing we do in the Christian life is so that we can be accepted by God, but rather it's out of the acceptance that God has given us through Jesus Christ. It's faith in the gospel promise. See, some of you have done some awful things in your life and you're waiting for the day when those are gonna catch up to you and God's gonna crush you. But friends, that day happened 2000 years ago when Jesus took the curse for you. God crushed Jesus in your behalf. And you're free from ever having to go to the punishment, undergo the punishment with God that you deserve. The curse was on him. And what that means is, as you look at your name tag and whatever it says, liar, gossip, cheat, addict, Whatever you think marks your life, whether it's good or it's bad, faith means ripping that name tag off and walking up to Jesus and putting it on him. Saying he said that he will take whatever I deserve. And that is my only hope. I rely on nothing in myself, but I put my name tag on him because he said he would pay for it. And that is my only hope before God It's trusting in the gospel promise that he underwent the curse for you. But it's not just that. As you look at Jesus and you see that it says, Jesus, beloved son, righteous, perfect, never sinned, filled with the Holy Spirit. Faith in the gospel promise means that you believe that Jesus took his name tag off and put it on you. Your status before God is the status that Jesus has earned on your behalf. God treats you not according to your name tag, but according to Jesus's name tag. And everything changes when that happens. You're all of a sudden living out of something Jesus has done for you rather than trying to get to God by being good enough. All of a sudden you're relying on Jesus rather than relying on yourself. You're confident that you have full acceptance before God, not because of anything you've done, but because Jesus has given you full acceptance. You're confident that God loves you because you're now a beloved child. You're confident that you have stepped. Stat- because Jesus has given you status. You're confident that there's a spiritual power in you, not because you're a powerful person, but because the Holy Spirit has come to live in you because of what Christ has done. See, faith in the gospel promise, far from taking us away from God and living recklessly for ourselves, it actually empowers us more to obey and love God because we see what he's done for us. And that's what Paul is going to expound on in the rest of the book. Faith in the gospel promise though rejects self-reliance and rests in Christ alone, rests in the promises of the gospel for you. So my question to end is, do you believe the gospel promise? Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you that our status is not insecure, but secured in you. We trust you and we believe you You have traded places with us. Now, please take that deeper into our hearts so that we're more confident in you, we have deeper faith in you, and we live a life of love towards you because you've loved us. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.